Welcome to another episode of Single Mother Talks. How's it going? How are you today? <laughs> I was a little frustrated today, you know, I'll admit some things uh, set me off and I think that talking about some of the things that are on my mind today will help alleviate some of the stress I'm feeling, not gonna lie. Um, so I'm sure that everyone <laughs> can say or have partaken in conversations where it seems like the communication, the writing aspect of it is just, it's really disappointing. You know, I have been just watching the way that communication is slowly eroding and just falling apart altogether. You know, aside from the freedom of speech issues that we're having right now, things like reading comprehension, punctuation, grammar, proper sentence structure, you know, these are all things that I have just been watching slowly uh, dissipate. And it's just really disheartening. And not only that, but it is really affecting the effectiveness of how we communicate with each other. I think the biggest one that gets on my nerves, right? Like I can, I can get over, you know, if you're not punctuating properly or if there's a word in there that shouldn't be, you know, sentence structure, whatever. But the one that really gets me, especially when I'm being specific, like in an ad or something, is reading comprehension. When people, they seem to not have the, you know, attention span to actually read something all the way through and understand clearly what the piece of writing is saying, right? And it's frustrating because like I'm very specific, like language is extremely important to me. I love language, right? I'm I'm a historical drama fiend, partly because I love the eloquence and the how proper language was, you know, from the 1300s to the 1900s, right? Like, so I look at how people talk nowadays and it's really like, it bothers me. <laughs> it really, it really bothers me. And, you know, like I know a lot of people who do not, you know, text in proper sentence structure and without punctuation and grammar and all that stuff. Um, and I can get over that part of it. But when, when somebody is having a, just a full on lack of understanding for what I'm saying, even though I'm being specific, right? Incredibly specific. Everything is perfect. All the sentence structure, right? Like I could read it to anybody and they would understand it, right? Whether it's, they're too lazy to read through it, or I don't know what the issue is, if that's really what it is that they don't have the attention span to get through it, or if their mind isn't like focused enough to pick up on, you know, the, the purpose of the writing, <clears throat> the function of the writing. So it's really, it's frustrating because it's like, you know, if I'm trying to sublet a room in my house or something and I've got an ad out and I think that this one is like this, the, to, to the, to the extent that this is happening, it is appalling. It is appalling to me. You know, like I live Vancouver Island where the Victoria just surpassed uh, Metro Vancouver in being the most expensive place to live, you know, and rent is included in that. And it is impossible to find a rental for anybody here, right? Even buying a house right now is really hectic. The housing market is just, it's crazy. It's a shit show right now. And so there's a lot of people that are desperate to find a place um, around where I'm living, right? And so the people who are offering rentals or sublets or whatever, right? They just get spammed with like all these people that are looking for a place. And I can relate to that, right? I, I got spammed as well. But I'm telling you, 90%, if not more, of these messages that I get from people are in an utter lack of reading comprehension. They will not have read through the whole ad and understood what I'm asking, you know, or it's a, a lack of punctuation and grammar and, and formality. It's just the laziest way of communicating that I have ever seen. And I don't understand why the um, professionalism in some of these situations is just slowly degradating, right? Like I was always taught growing up that you want things to be professional, right? Like look at a resume. You, you can't have a single mistake on the resume, resume because it's, you know, seen as very 
unprofessional. Even something as small as that, right, can can give an impression of you that you're just not a professional person if you're not able to catch your errors in your resume. It needs to be perfect, right, with perfect spelling and punctuation and grammar and, you know, format, right? Like that was the standard that I grew up on. And even handwriting, you know, that's not taught nowadays anymore to kids in public schools, right? So the kids aren't handwriting. And I feel like things are passing now, right? Like the standard has gone down so low for communication, right? And it's frustrating because like, I won't, I won't even consider, I won't even look at, not even consider anyone who does not fully comprehend what I'm asking for and responding to it accordingly, right? I don't even look at it. I just look at it and I go, oh my God, that's going to drive me nuts. Like I have to communicate with this person going forward, you know, if it's a sublet or if it's a job, right? I know I'm going to be having to communicate with them more going forward. And if this is what I'm seeing at the beginning, this poor reading comprehension, this unprofessionalism, I have no interest in subjecting myself to the frustrations of somebody who doesn't know how to communicate properly, you know, through written word, right? So this, it it just makes me, it makes me really sad because it's like, you know, I heard Candace Owens, I was watching, you know, a clip of her and she was talking about how, you know, the standard for, for passing in schools, right, has really gone down. Like kids can pass with way, way lower percentages, you know, um, and get degrees for far, less work. And so the result is that people are getting more degrees than ever. But as a result, people aren't as smart. The stand, the bar is set so low. And so, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. And I mean, what comes to mind is, you know, what kind of kids are parents these days raising, you know, which brings me to a few things that I want to talk about today, right? Because I mean, ultimately, no matter what's going on in the world, we are responsible for guiding our children, right? If your child is lacking in this specific area, they can't read very well, they can't write very well, they can't do math very well, they can't do something very well, it's up to us not to enable that and to work on it with them, you know, to for them to gain the, the necessary skills in order to improve on such things, right? And I feel like there is such enabling behavior for some of our the the worst things going on right now in society in terms of how our kids are growing and their intelligence and their self-awareness you know all of these character building things are just eroding and communication is like it's really important you when, when you think about it it's like the foundation of everything We have to be able to communicate with every single person that comes into our path over life, which is like thousands of people, thousands of people, depending on who your kid grows up to be, it might be hundreds of thousands, thousands of people, right? And so these skills are so essential, right? Just baseline with things like responsibility, integrity, honesty, you know, um, loyalty, reliability, and they're in, they're integral to a child, you know, growing up and and being a good a good well-rounded human. And so this enabling behavior, right, with all this texting really really poorly and with this writing really poorly and just this this just low bar set for communication, you know, it's like and I mean, I'm not ignorant to the fact that our smartphones are obviously a huge contributing factor to the erosion of how we write and communicate with people, right? But that's the other side of things that I wanted to get into, you know, um, is the whole smartphone phone conversation and how to navigate that because honestly, it kind of floors me. It kind of blows my mind what kids are, you know, allowed to do and getting away with in terms of how we navigate the internet and our phones and social media and just tech in general, screen time and whatever. Like it's, it's actually appalling, right? Like typical things that I'm seeing are kids getting cell phones at ages where they don't need a fucking cell phone. They don't need a cell phone. If you need your kid to have a cell phone so that you can reach them, right? Because that's important, right? Get a flip phone or, or, or get a, get a, 
you know, it, if it has to be a, a smartphone, you need to like modify it in a way where they don't have access to all these things that are overstimulating our minds, you know, and I'll get into that in a minute. But aside from, you know, a smartphone, like I wouldn't say that a kid needs a smartphone until they're like, mm, maybe 16, right? Get a flip phone. You don't need a smartphone. Okay. And the other thing is uh, social media. Like this is the one that blows my mind, right? It blows my mind. Out of all the evidence that there is out there that social media is impacting kids negatively, okay, that it's not good for kids because their brains haven't fully developed yet, it affects their self-esteem, it distracts them from what's really important in life, what, what's important to focus on, it has negative impacts on, you know, family and bonding time and phones at the dinner table and too much screen time, screen time overall when you factor in like video games and laptops and movies and all this stuff, right? Like it all adds up. But despite all of this obvious and clear evidence, you know, parents are allowing their kids on social media as young as like seven, which is like baffling to me. You know, I don't, I don't know how people forgot that the internet, okay, is one way that predators can access your child, right? If you have photos up there, it is so easy for predators or any dangerous person to, to manipulate that child and exploit their pictures in some way or get information on where that child is or, or try to reach them in some way, whatever. Like there's always, there's risk involved with the internet. It should be obvious that we all have to navigate the internet you know, knowing that there's risk. And maybe it's like, we, okay, it's second nature to someone like me, right? If somebody tries to talk to me that I don't know from some weird website, immediately I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Like I exit right out of it and I don't even, you know, pay attention to it. I, I don't pay attention to, you know, like uh, free stuff or subscriptions that come up or blah, 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 like all this stuff in my face because I know that it's all bullshit. But a kid doesn't know that, right? You don't know where a kid can end up on the internet. They're naive. They don't know these things. And it's still, and even if they did, having them on social media is still a portal for dangerous people to possibly access them, for them to get sucked in to some kind of conversation with some person who's catfishing them or whatever it is, right? You're still putting your child at risk, okay? And so the internet is this it's a risky place. You know, think about how much stuff goes down on the internet. You know, there's stuff like the dark web that you can get pulled into. There's pornography. There is uh, child tra trafficking, like structures in place on the internet to, to be able to locate and pull kids in and whatever. You know, like the, the list of risks go on and on and on. The internet is like this, this crazy place where you, like so much stuff can happen right? And it takes an incredible amount of guidance and protection. And even then, even then, there are hackers and, and people that can override so much of the, you know, whatever firewalls and fail safes or whatever that we have in place for the internet, you know, and you want to put your seven-year-old child, 10-year-old child, 12, you know, on the internet at risk. I cannot understand it for the life of me. You know, and when you put your child on social media, all of those risks, they heighten. It becomes even more risky. And aside from that, then now you're subjecting them to self-esteem issues or the erosion of speech and them becoming superficial, them comparing them to, comparing them to, to lives and, and people that they're seeing that aren't even real. I don't understand the, the internet and social media is no place for a kid, okay? You know, I will say the internet, it can be, it can be a tool, but it needs to be totally controlled and safeguarded by the parent, right? So what I'm seeing is parents that don't care. They, they, they give their kids smartphones. They let them have all the screen time in the world let them go on every single social media outlet, right? And just have no, no structure in place, just a free-for-all. They just throw their kid out there 
and just expect them to wing it, you know, when they're a developing child. Like it just, it blows my mind. Like you're actively putting your child at risk. You are actively affecting the way that they evolve, you know, with self-esteem issues, with comparison, with the, the erosion of speech, with these, with this superficial way of connecting with people that's not in person. You're putting that on your child. We already have, like we as adults, we haven't even figured out how to handle you know, this, this new wave of technology, right? We have all of these anxiety issues. We're overstimulated, you know, like we're, we're constantly checking our phones, blah, blah, blah. Like even in adults, you know, we're comparing our lives to other lives, right? Like our friends, our family, blah, blah, blah. Like we, we have a hard time navigating it. We haven't got it figured out. And you're just going to throw a child out there, you know, expecting that it's not going to affect them in any way. Like, it blows my mind. I don't understand it. So to share some of my personal perspectives on it and maybe break it down a little bit so that, you know, you might rethink the way that you're approaching technology. Now, I'm a mother, okay? Those are my credentials, right? But I don't have to be, I don't have to have all these degrees and all these things to have common sense, which is what is so lacking nowadays in society is literally common sense. So I will say this, I am a person of common sense. I am a person that is rooted in important fundamental values that I have tried to obtain throughout my own life and my son's life. I am very old fashioned. I value old fashioned things. I do not buy into this, to any of this woke agenda. I do not, you know, buy into risking kids and you know, navigating parenting by enabling kid, kids' poor behavior. I'm very much about, let's correct that. Let's guide you and show you how to navigate this properly as a child. I am not going to enable <laughs> the irrational fears and poor behavior. I'm just laughing because I, you know, like I've mentioned a few times, you know, I have three Huskies, right? And it really bothered me. I, I take my dogs down to this huge beach all the time so that they can run openly without running into met very many people because I'm not a fan of how people navigate their dogs and understand dog language and, you know, all of this. I just think it's, it is just so frustrating so much of the time. So I try to avoid that at all costs. And recently, last weekend, I took two of my huskies down to a place called China Beach and oh my gosh, so beautiful, big old old growth trees. It was gorgeous. You know, I got there pretty early in the morning and so there wasn't very many people, but closer to noon, some, some more people started showing up, right? And there was this mother who had a son who must have been probably about 15, probably about 15, uh, about five foot nine, five foot 10, right? And I can see that, you know, my dogs are running free and stuff and he's smiling and he's checking them out and the dogs are checking them out. Nothing, nothing bad is happening. You know, my puppy is a year old. He's a really big dog. Um, you know, he jumps up sometimes, but it's just playing, right? And, you know, this kid is playing with him. I was watching the situation. He was smiling and my dog was excited because he probably related the kid to my son, right? Who's six foot two and he's a, he's a young boy and you know, my dog, my, my little male puppy, he loves my son. And so, you know, they're playing. The situation is not dangerous at all, right? I keep an eye on my dogs. And if my dogs misbehave or there's some sort of altercation or whatever the hell, or somebody's really upset, you know, I'm there and I have no problem being, being accountable and, you know, uh, apologizing if I'm in the wrong, um, you know, so, and I understand that those things happen sometimes, not really, Mostly it's based on just the behavior of both the owners and how the dogs are meeting. You know, I will say that <laughs> it's not in my dog's nature to just go and randomly attack other dogs or people for no reason. No, my dog has never attacked a person, other dogs. <laughs> but so I'm watching this mother and her son and they're, everything's fine, right? And then they leave. And then when I'm ready to go, I leave as well. 
you know, they left way ahead of me, but I walk really fast with my dogs, right? So we're going up the trail. I notice that they're in front of me and my little, my, my male puppy, not little, he's a big dog. You know, he goes up and around the boy and stuff again, because he's like, oh, I recognize this person. Right. And, and they're walking with this, these two people, right? Nothing is happening. Nothing. And then I see them walk to the side of the trail and go up super high, right? The boy goes up super high. And, you know, I pass by them and I know immediately that they're bothered by my dogs, which annoys the living fuck out of me, you know, for several reasons, okay? And I'm not, like, (laughs) I'll elaborate more on this, right? But just to finish my story, I pass by them and I say to them, don't like dogs? And then the mother says, very, very quiet and very timid and very soft-spokenly. Oh, he's afraid. And I was like, oh yeah, so what are you doing about that? You're just going to let him be afraid of an irrational fear? Like this dog is not, is not here to hurt you. He hasn't shown any of that behavior. You're literally going to let your son, you know, climb up over here and just enable an irrational fear. You know, you're not going to stand with him and guide him and be like, look, son, there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, like, and, you know, I understand that there are variables with situations, right? You know, people are saying, well, well, what if, uh, you know, he was attacked by a dog or something? And, and what if, um, you know, he doesn't like dogs because uh, it's like a religious belief or something, right? And to that I say, to that I say, again, so I'm just supposed to be in this position where I enable irrational fears, you know, like I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that I should have to change the way that I'm doing something to accommodate something that doesn't make any sense. You know, if the child had been attacked by a dog and he has this fear of dogs, that doesn't mean that you go on the rest of your life fearing every single dog. That to me would be something that you correct, <clears throat> pardon me, as a parent. You know, you take their hand and you say, look, you know, this is, this is not a situation that you have to be fearful about and you have to get over this fear and we can do it together, right? Now, some of you are saying, well, she doesn't know your dogs, right? So to her, she doesn't know if they're dangerous dogs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, again, common sense. I was watching them the whole time. You can see that, that, that my dogs are not a threat. They're not growling, biting, you know, barking. There was none of that, zero, right? So paying attention to dog behavior and and seeing that, you know, well, another thing, what if they don't understand dog behavior? What if they don't understand dogs? Yeah, sure, I guess. Okay. But it's just, again, it's like common sense. You know, I just, I I don't believe that one should live their life in fear, right? Are you going to be afraid of every single dog that comes by because you don't know what kind of a dog it is? No, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? If, and you just watch if they display aggressive behavior, right? Then obviously that dog maybe has the potential to be a mean dog, right? But if you're watching your son play with these dogs on the beach, right? And there's no threat and you're going to allow him just crawl to crawl up and get away because he feels a little bit uncomfortable, right? Like I just, I don't know. I, I look down on that sort of parenting. I don't think that that, that strengthens a child to be able to handle life properly, right? You can't just run away from things that are scared, that scare you or whatever, right? And so it's just this thing where, you know, with my dogs, I am so frustrated with this kind of generation of people that are being raised. And I'm so frustrated with how people, you know, like just navigate dogs because so much of the time it's about the owner, right? And how they're perceiving a situation, right? I had another I had, I was selling, I was getting rid of this large carpet once just to go on another story here. Okay. I'll come back to my original point, but you know, I was getting rid of a carpet at my house and this couple that was like, looked like Iranian or something, uh, somewhere from the middle East. Um, they came to pick up this carpet off me. Right. So the, the husband comes out of the vehicle and at the time, my puppy is like little, like a little tiny fluffy puppy, like a little tiny fluffy husky puppy, like literally the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. He was just like standing at about maybe a foot tall, maybe a little bit over a foot tall, but just a tiny puppy. And he came out with me, right? Um, 
He just follows me everywhere that I go. I used to take him running like that too. No leash, no nothing. He was at my side. And this is kind of the way that I'm training him. I don't like using leashes, um, you know, during that first time because he needs to know that he is choosing to be with me. He has all the freedom in the world, but he is reinforcing that he's choosing to be with me. And that's really important for Huskies. Um, And so (laughs) I have raised five litters and I have three generations. I know about my Huskies. Side note. (laughs) But so this woman comes out, the wife, right? And she starts acting terrified of Paloma, my young puppy. And she's just like, she's like, oh my God, like really uncomfortable, like hiding behind the husband of this because there's a little tiny fluffy puppy. And to say that I was insulted (laughs) is an understatement. I thought it was extremely offensive. You're coming to my house, right? And you're going to act like something I'm doing, you know, is, is appalling or offensive or that I'm being rude when I am doing nothing at all. My puppy is just sitting there, you know, just, just being a puppy. He's used to people, you know, being, being nice. And so it actually freaked him out. He got scared by the way that she was responding responding to him, he came and like hid behind me because he was like, what the hell have I done? Like all humans so far have been really nice to me. So why is she behaving this this way with me, right? So I'm looking at the, the, the effect that her behavior, her irrational fear is having on my young puppy with them coming to my house, to my house, you know? So, you know, there's an option there. Do I put the pu- the puppy inside to enable that irrational fear and make them feel more comfortable? No, I am not that kind of person. I am not going to enable an irrational fear. I just kept on saying to her, you know, I'm like, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. He's just a little puppy. He is the sweetest puppy in the world. There's nothing to be afraid of. Of course, she didn't listen to me. And the husband said to me twice over, she's not comfortable with your dog right? And I didn't give a shit. I just stood there with my puppy and I kept saying, there's nothing to be afraid of because I am not going to enable that kind of bullshit. And so circling back to my original point of enabling this generation in all of these, you know, things that are counterproductive to their evolution, to their growth, you know, to them forming their brains and their habits and their personalities in a healthy way, it's just all I'm seeing is enabling poor behavior. You know, I hear and I read articles and, you know, I watch the way that the schools are dealing with with technology, you know, and it's like, well, you know, my kid comes home and they're just all their friends have got, you know, this the new smartphone and, you know, their friends have got this and that and they just won't leave me alone and they're constantly nagging me for this and that and they get really upset when they don't have enough screen time and so you know i just give it to them because it's just less stress on me and blah 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 it's just like oh yeah you're a shitty parent sorry but you signed up for this it's your job to be there to the best of your ability if you wanted to have kids you, you that's your idea of parenting you signed up for that you're going to let them walk all over you and give them whatever the hell they want and then contribute to this this generation we're seeing? You don't want to put in the extra work to make sure that your child, your flesh and blood, you know, the thing that you signed up for to raise, you know, you're not going to put in the extra work to make sure that they're the best person that they can be? It's irrefutable, the evidence that's out there regarding technology, right? And so when you're giving your kid a smartphone and you don't have like any parental controls and it's just a free for all, they can access whatever they want. They can, you know, spend as much screen time as they want playing video games, staying up until like 11 o'clock at night, you know, like looking up whatever on their laptop, accessing pornography sites and blah, blah, blah. Like you're just sending them out into the world of the internet and social media to put them at risk. And to me, there's no excuse for that. I don't give a shit how much pressure a parent is under, you know, to have this, to have this, or how much of a fit your kid throws, you know, if they don't get their way. It's your job to be a strong force in their life, to have rules, to guide them, right? So what can be done? How, to, how do we combat, you know, the, the pressure, the situations that are happening 
you know, that cause you to enable this behavior in kids, right? You know, I look at the way that my son's school is dealing with tech. They're trying to implement it more because it is something that's becoming more implemented in society. You know, it's something that we have to learn to navigate. It seems whether we like it or not. Unless you live out in the boonies on a ranch or a farm or whatever the case may be, if you're in society, you kind of have to learn how to navigate this safely. Okay, so, you know, I watch the schools and I noticed that they're trying to incorporate cell phone use more in the classroom, obviously, because what they were doing before, you know, in their in their efforts to combat the cell phone usage, it wasn't working. You know, I can just imagine a teacher trying to go through class and the kids are on their phones and it's just like, okay, you get your phone taken away. And it's this constant battle every day. So I've noticed that there's, uh, you know, I was reading this thing about my, my son's school and it says, you know, cell phone use is encouraged in a constructive way in the classroom. They're putting that there now just to accommodate it, you know, just to take away the annoying <laughs> habitual day-to-day, uh, you know, reason for having to take away phones from kids, right? Now they're trying to incorporate it. Now they're just kind of going, okay, well, sure, cell phone use is encouraged as long as it's, you know, constructive, which, you know, we all know it's impossible to to see what the kids are doing on their phones, right? There's, it's impossible to know whether or not it's constructive or not. Chances are it probably isn't, but because they've put that, that, that term there now, you know, it kind of uh, safeguards them from having to navigate how to deal with cell phone use in the classroom by just saying, okay, it's allowed and we're no longer responsible. You know, as long as it's constructive, you know, this covers us. <laughs> you know, so I thought that that was kind of funny. But my opinion on having cell phones in class, you don't need a cell phone in class. I don't understand why kids are bringing cell phones to class. I don't get it. The only reason that I can think of is so that, you know, if they need a ride after school or something, you know, if they're going to a friend's house after school, like I would get that the parent needs to be in contact with the child. Okay, I get that. In my case, I still don't let my son take his cell phone to school, even if he does need to contact me because we live five minutes away from the school. And so I'm pretty, you know, confident that he can make it home. And if he does have a problem, he can go to the office and use the phone there. So in my situation, it's not really applicable. You might have a situation where they need to bring their cell phone to school for whatever reason, right? Use a flip phone. If the reason is that you need to contact them, a flip phone can get the job done. You can still contact your son on a flip phone, okay? So in my case, my son has a smartphone against kind of what I wanted for him. He started out on a flip phone, but my mom (laughs) is kind of a tech person And she, my son goes and stays with her over the summer or whatever. And she hooked him up with a cell phone, with a smartphone that he has right now, right? I don't agree with that. I don't really think he needs it. But I reasoned that if I could dumb the smartphone down to something that was more comfortable for me, then he could use that, okay? So if you do have a smartphone, but you do not want the child to access all of the stuff on the smartphone, all of the unnecessary risk that you're putting your child through, you know, there's a way that you can control every single feature on that cell phone. Okay, so like for my son's cell phone, he does not have access to texting on there. It will not do texts. So when I set up the phone, you know, from factory reset, whatever, when I set up the phone, it is a child's phone. So it's automatically got a safeguard for, you know, websites like you know, Google and, and YouTube and whatever. There's there's safeguards that you can set up through YouTube when you make a YouTube account. Is this a child's account? You know, yada, yada, yada. You go through that whole rigmarole. And you can set up the phone so that they do not have access to certain apps. And so the texting feature is an app. I have turned it off. The only thing that he can do on his phone, right, is call. And then when he's at home, he can use the Wi-Fi right? There's no reason for him to be using any data anywhere else. So that feature is turned off for him. And the reason why he's not allowed to text, he can only make phone calls, is that I don't believe in enabling the superficial interaction of talking to each other through a screen. I think that through calling and hearing a voice and context is a lot better for a child's development. And it's 
you know, a lot better for the way that they're communicating. I don't like the aspect of the erosion of texting. And there's also, you know, when you're kind of texting superficially through a screen, because you're not getting that tone of voice and that more personal aspect to communication, it can be easier to say things or send things that are inappropriate because you kind of don't, you know, like when you when you think of two people talking, right? You're not just going to like, you know, flash them, right? Oh, here's my boobs or like here's whatever body part. You don't do that person to person. Like it feels completely different. It feels much more private and safe through a text message and therefore more opportunistic for kids to do that inappropriate, you know, uh, dialogue with each other. So I don't want to encourage that. I think that there's much more value. He does not need to text. He can just call directly. So that text feature is off of there. Okay, now there are apps that you can download, you know, so that you can have complete parental control over the phone. You know, for example, my son has a four-hour limit, which is kind of pushing it, you know, in, in terms of like what phone calls he's making. You know, he has phone calls with friends sometimes that take a little bit. So four hours is, you know, a little uh, uh, kind of overkill, but, you know, four hours is good enough for me. So so you can control how long they're on their phone. You can control when a phone unlocks, right? You have a certain time frame. So my phone, my son's phone unlocks at three o'clock when he gets home from school and it locks again at 8 p.m. So that is the time frame that he can use it for. You know, all of this is controlled through my phone, through this parental app. And I'm not sure, I'm sure it's, it varies across iPhones and Androids and countries and whatever, you know, but um, the app that I use is called Family Link. And so if I, if he wants more time, right, he can send a request to my phone and I can give him more time. It shows me all of his app usage, what he's been accessing. It shows me all of his browsing history through my phone. I can control it all. So you can set up all those parental controls and, you know, you can block whatever sites you want. And then it is the same thing for his laptop. There's a separate um, app on his laptop that he uses. But this is another thing with his laptop, right? Technology can be beneficial when it is used as a tool, when it is used as a tool, when it is not like mind numbing, when it is not using you essentially. So for his laptop, I wanted to set it up in a way where it was very simple and it wasn't going to be overstimulating for his brain because that's so much of, you know, what we're experiencing through our screens is overstimulation. So I set up his laptop super simple. So there is nothing on there that he can access except for these three or four programs that I've put on there that he can go on his laptop to learn how to use. His laptop is not for going on YouTube and mindless scrolling through YouTube. It's not for mindlessly scrolling through the internet and getting himself into trouble or different chats or or whatever, you know, it's not for that. If he wants to look up something specifically on the internet, like in his case, Um, characters for him to practice his drawing, right? That's fine. But the software programs that I have on there is one called, um, oh, now I forget it. It is a digital um, design, like a graphic design. Oh, Blender. That's what it's called. So Blender is a really super extensive software where you can learn all kinds of design. And so it's, it's quite an undertaking, right? And I've showed him how to you know, if he runs into something that he doesn't know much about, he can look that up on YouTube and watch tutorials and teach himself how to use this program, right? Because he's really artsy. He's an artistic child. And so I've got that and I've got a, a writing software that I use to write my book because he really likes writing and telling stories as well. So he can use that. And he's also got uh, video editing software on there. And I've showed him how to navigate that. He can look up tutorials and whatever, and he can play around with making videos and and whatnot. That being said, he's not allowed to, you know, put anything up on YouTube and have his own YouTube account. Not yet. He's only 13. And so, so I keep it super simple like that so that he, when he gets onto the, his laptop, he can use it as a tool to learn these specific things, you know, not for mindless anything, right? And 
I'm sure that there is some kind of workaround that kids will figure out, you know, uh, to get into things that they're not supposed to, but that's why it's up to you to look at, you know, the history from the week, right? For his laptop, I'll get a weekly history report on what he's been doing on his laptop, what time a day, because his laptop's the same. It comes on and shuts off at a certain time. And then he's got a certain allotted period of time that he's allowed to be on there for. And so I review that on a weekly basis because that's my job as a parent. And then if something happens or comes up, then it's my job to address it with him and then adjust the the parental controls as needed, right? Or adjust the way that I'm allowing him to use the laptop. Like say, you know, like out in the open at the at the, you know, the, the desk that we have in our kitchen versus in his room where it's more private, like, like whatever the situation is, I have to adjust to be able to accommodate, you know, where he is struggling so that he can still use this tool, you know, and then we've got this thing where, you know, he has a Nintendo Switch and I like for him to use it because he really enjoys playing games on the Switch and it also connects him with his friends that he has from different parts you know, of the province that we've lived in, right? He gets to talk to his friends on there and play with them. And that, you know, really does a lot for him. He's a very, very incredibly social kid. Very opposite to me in a lot of regards, you know, like I was always on my own (laughs) when I was a kid and all growing up and through my adult life. So it's something that I have to try to accommodate and understand in him. But so for his switch, right, he has to do, he has to ask for, you know, chores, that he can do in order to earn his switch time for the night, which is 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And if all those things are done, then he's allowed to go on it. And no earlier than 6 and no later than 9. And I'm talking about like, even if it's five minutes past 9, I'm calling him on it because he has to learn, you know, how to be prompt, how to be on time with things, right? Because, I mean, this has been a struggle, right? He has this thing, he's getting better now, where... It's, it was always at least five or 10 minutes past nine, always, every single night. And I would still confront him about it every single night and still, you know, dish out consequences for not having that in place, right? So it's up to me to keep up with it, to keep on reinforcing it because it's a new, it's a new pattern, you know, it's going to take a while before it becomes second nature and he takes it seriously, right? But in doing that, I'm still trying to accommodate the things that he likes doing, you know, because I want him to have access to those things, but I'm teaching him how to navigate it responsibly, right? And so that brings me to social media, right? My son doesn't have social media. Of course he doesn't. You know, that's ridiculous to me. He's never had social media. You know, he's 13 years old. I don't think I will allow him to have social media until he is at least probably 16, you know, I just don't think, I think that the, the risks of it far, far, far outweigh the benefits. I don't really see a benefit to having social media and I don't care. I don't care about whatever pressure he tries to apply or however much he complains or however much pushback there is to enforcing these rules. I'm always going to enforce them and I'm not going to submit to the whims of my teenager just because he's demanding it and I'm too stressed out. It just stresses me out too much. So I'm just going to check out as a parent and enable him and, you know, encourage him to grow in this dysfunctional way that will be bad for, you know, his, his evolution and navigating the world, you know, like that's what it comes down to the bigger picture. What kind of a human is your child going to grow up to be from reinforcing this bad behavior? Now, some people might say that I'm too extreme. To me, that sounds ridiculous. I don't think that's extreme at all. Like, are you kidding me? But to a lot of people, that might be extreme because of how it's it's to the extent that I'm seeing bad behavior, you know, or bad navigation of these things being handled. Like the, the bar has gotten so out of control for what's to be expected, you know, from a child. The bar is so low. And I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's extreme at all. I think that he has he still has access to all these things, you know, aside from social media, but he's not really missing out on much. Like I said, there's not any benefit to having social media. It literally just implements a, an entirely superficial way of navigating life and communicating. 
And if this does seem extreme, and it seems like this, it's this great hindrance on a child's life, then get them involved with other things, with extracurricular activities, so they don't have time for this stuff. So it's not such a focus. I feel like there's an extreme amount of coddling and enabling going on. And I think largely it has to do with maybe the parents being too overstimulated themselves, being too distracted. You know, it's too much work to have to implement this for my child and like, you know, I need to relax too, right? Then maybe reverse, right? What, like what I'm saying, like take a look at yourself, right? Take a look at the ways that you're being overstimulated so that you don't have time for your kids to be able to deal with this stuff. Are you using social media too much? Do you have too too much screen time? Like you need to be an example. If you're feeling overstimulated, you know, which I'll admit is something that I have to deal with on a regular basis, but I kind of feel like that's because of my lifestyle. I got three large energetic dogs. I'm a full-time single mother. I have to manage a big, large house by myself and manage everything else by myself. It's a little overstimulating, but even I, you know, I mentioned in previous uh, episode, I've mentioned in a previous episode that, you know, I, I permanently deleted my Facebook for that reason. I mean, that was one of the reasons there was, there was lots of reasons, but you know, part of it has to do with like, where's my energy going, right? When you really add up like how much you're being stimulated by things that aren't actually beneficial to your life, you know, on your phone or whatever screen or in your life, like how much your attention is grabbed here and here and here and here and here, it really adds up to the loss of energy at the end of the day. If you were to add up all of those minutes, hours, whatever, over a day, over a week, over a month, and you see how much time you are, how much energy is just put into this useless thing that does not serve you in any way. It's actually counterproductive. You know, it overstimulates you. It makes you more anxious or socially anxious or you know, you're getting depressed or you're feeling defeated, you're overwhelmed or whatever, right? Like you're doing that to yourself. And so I do believe in being an example to our kids. And if it's not something that you can keep up up with where you're just maintaining and able to moderate these rules with your kids, then you need to take a look at yourself and see where your energy and your focus is going to to better be able to do that. Because as a parent, your service is to your child, right? You need to know and make sure that your child is being guided appropriately, that you're not just enabling them because it's too much. You know, you're too tired. It's too stressful. Just give them what they want, you know, so that they stop nagging you. That is not, that is not effective parenting and that is not what you signed up for. You know, personal, personal development is really important to me. And I just want to make a few suggestions in terms of how to combat this this like degradation of communication and writing because it's it's really it is an issue and i'm just watching it get worse and worse you know just overall the intelligence and self-awareness of the kids that we're raising and of each other that is something that should be under constant evaluation you should be constantly evaluating yourself setting you know goals completing the goals higher goals like always constantly in movement wanting to make yourself better, wanting to to help your kids, you know, like become more efficient at things, right? And so lots of the things that I do to help myself with my writing, right? Like I had pretty good writing and communication from a very early age. Like I was very good at it. I skipped like two grades uh, of English, right? When I went to high school, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that some of you know my backstory, right? I didn't make it to college. I didn't make it to university. However, you know, and I dropped out in grade nine because I got pregnant and was dealing with an abusive person. And it was just like my life was a living hell. <laughs> you can go back and listen to my other episodes and that will, you know, it'll fill you in. But, you know, I was always really, really competent with English language and communication. Um, you know, and when I did go back, to finish school, I had dropped out in grade nine, but you know, they put me directly into English 12 and uh, calculus and all this stuff because I'm, I'm actually pretty intelligent. You know, I was pretty smart. That made me feel good. It makes me feel good to say that. But, you know, so I was naturally quite gifted with, with, uh, with English and communication. And, you know, I'm really trying to be a, a successful author right now. And so I'm, I'm writing a lot, like every day I'm writing, And I also write in a journal 
I try to do it every single day, right? So I'm writing that way and I'm also typing. Those are two different ways to kind of stimulate different parts of your brain. Um, And then on top of that, to improve my writing, I utilize free courses online. You know, I have a a writing your first novel course that I'm completing, you know, um, creative writing courses. There's a whole bunch of courses that I'm going to continue to go through to improve on that. But just to put that out there, that those are ways that you can, you know, really practice your writing. And that's why I encourage my son to do more of that on his laptop. Because I just think it's so important, you know, like these little, these little snippets of sentences and these abbreviations and like all this, like, oh, I just, I can't stand it. And I don't see how it's counterproductive, you know, to society. So writing and, and communication and language is is really really important it's a fundamental thing for everybody and you know it's really enjoyable it's really satisfying you know reading a book reading a book reading a uh, books in general should be so a part of everybody's life if you're into personal development right like not only is it good for your brain to 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 read all those words and like those sentence structures and stuff because subconsciously right you're paying attention you're taking in that data but it also introduces you to all these different perspectives and you learn things and it's so good for you. It's so integral to a person who's interested in self-development, right? So yeah, you know, like to me, those, those, those avenues might be kind of obvious, but just to throw a few things out for what I do in, in terms to, you know, um, become better at, at language and communication and writing and, and all that. So I think I'm going to leave it there. And just wrap this up by saying, you know, it's not my intention to come across harshly, right? It is my intention to address a problem and say, okay, this is an issue. I'm sure we can all notice this issue. What are we going to do about it? You know, and I'm not the sort of person, like I said, who believes in enabling. Like if I hurt your feelings in some way, whatever, uh, I'm not sorry. You know, I think that harsh words if they come across that way are necessary sometimes you know you have to be able to confront a problem and and speak the truth about the problem in order to find a real solution not just band-aids and enabling and you know uh furthering the problem by not getting honest and real about what the problem is so so i hope that if this you know particular episode piqued your interest that you can you know, apply some of this, whether it's understanding, you know, a different way of thinking about it, a different perspective or applying it in your own life or, or completely throwing out the, the baby with the bathwater and you just got to start from scratch again because the kids are so out of control. Like whatever your situation is, I just really hope that this helped you in some regard. All right. That's all for today. Thanks for listening.